I do think people thought about smart contracts differently than they do now as well. I think there was like a lot less forking going on. There was a lot less, oh, we can just do, we can just add an opcode in this fork. Like we can just, you know, change the address of the contract. Like there was some idea that you were working on like durable, long lasting, forever public goods versus now I think I don't know if people think about it the same way. I think in some ways they do. I th in some ways, some projects are like less ambitious than that, which is like maybe reasonable. On this episode, we talked with Jenny, who is an incredible developer. She worked at MetaMask. She also did some work on Dapp Hub and uh, was head of product at Aave. So this was a really fun conversation. Jenny has so much experience across the space. Um, what stood out to you, Kevin? Yeah, we had a lot of really good conversations about developer tools, account abstractions, touched on intents. Uh, there's just a, a wealth of knowledge that Jenny has that I felt super appreciative that she gave us her time and, and talked to us about it. We ultimately came to the conclusion that Having your own uh, RPC endpoint as a user will basically be the the new version of having a, a VPN. So um, definitely an episode that's worth a listen. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy. We are here with Jenny Pollock, who is the wearer of many hats across the Web3 ecosystem. Jenny, very excited to be talking with you on the pod today. Likewise, thanks for having me on. Before we jump into a bunch of different things that you've been thinking about, Maybe it would be helpful to give some context on uh, your background in terms of how you got into crypto and then also what you've worked on in the space. Totally. Yeah. Um, I guess like the beginning of crypto for me, the really beginning was like I was on Beer Money, the subreddit, and I was like found out about Bitcoin faucets, but that is like way uh, not how I actually got into the space. The real beginning was like I was living in Seattle. I was going to East Seattle meetups. I met the MetaMask folks. They hosted an IPFS hackathon. Um, at the time, I was working at Microsoft on OAuth in Exchange, and weirdly, like, very relevant, uh, like, the same problems that I was working on there, like, problems that have to be solved, basically, for wallets in crypto. So we always had a lot to talk about and always stayed in touch. And so after, like, two years at Microsoft, I decided to come over to this side of of the tech space and then kind of haven't stopped since. So I was working as an engineer at MetaMask and then uh, did some like auditing with DapHub for a little while. Um, then more recently, I was head of product at Aave, working on Go and Lens. And now I'm like kind of doing a small little uh, consulting firm called Exonumia. We do like product strategy and network design and things like that. But that's, it's very work in progress. Um, yeah, but I've I've been working in crypto I think since 2018, 2017, and still here, still along. Yes, yeah, so you've seen it all. <laughs> it really, really have. But I think yeah. also from like the the application perspective, in some way, or if like from the UX perspective, I like to be close to where the users are at. I think infra is important. I know it's like huge right now, but like I don't know. I feel like sure we can do infra, but what's the point if if no one's going to use it anyway? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a very grounding way to approach the space. It's very easy to get into like this circle jerk of intellectually interesting infrastructure and then never actually get into anyone using it. Is it? I feel so 
removed. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, <laughs> it is. But we are waiting. Like, I, I do get it. I get it because, like, without the infrastructure, it's really, like, still that. Like, infrastructure does make good UX at the end of the day. I just think sometimes we kind of over-index or just because it's what still does need to be solved, we kind of spend a lot of time still working it out. But, yeah. I think people would rather sell shovels than produce anything necessarily. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I wouldn't say rather, but I think it's it can be easier at times. It makes more sense to people. Like, you can you can see, yeah, you can see why it's what people work on, I think. Incentive-wise, like how the networks work, etc. Yeah, I mean, on that note, I think it would be a good place to start. Is probably some of your work at Dapp Hub. Um, maybe you can start with just like a broad strokes overview of like what Dapp Hub was doing um, when you were there, because I think it'd be interesting on the infrastructure side. I consider dev pooling infrastructure, but I think that's probably not actually fair to say. But I definitely want to dive into that. But first, maybe you can give context on what Dapp Hub was was working on. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you, though. I will say, like, I do think that dev tooling is infrastructure in a way. It's like the, the shovels that build the shovels, maybe, uh, to go back to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Dapp Hub is, is like a really interesting, uh, it's really hard to speak on behalf of, I wouldn't call my, like, I can't speak on behalf of Dapp Hub. That's the way that it is. Like, it's just kind of this thing that exists kind of still, but really existed at a time, like, the basically the core development of Maker. So from like Psy to MCD, multi-collateral die, like they were kind of the main developers of that and the main architects of that system. And through that architecture and development created DAP tools, which was like the foundation for basically, it was the first, I think, tooling that really let you write and test contracts in Solidity. So instead of, I think Truffle was kind of the other developer tool that was big at the time uh which was like javascript and it made sense like i get why people use javascript tooling because you're making web apps for people to use but like i think the solidity tooling is just a better experience and separating like solidity and smart contract development which is so much more like hardware development so much more like you know spe formal specifications formal verification so much more like create it and it exists in perpetuity or at least that's just, this is like the attitude that was existed at the time that i do think is shifting people are much more comfortable with like upgradable proxies and you know oh v1 v2 v3 uh versus like the idea that you're working on this infrastructure as a protocol that should exist forever it's just a very different way of engineering things but as anyways like coming back to it so dap tools kind of came out of the need to make developer tools for the development of the maker stuff um and so yeah i think also just like as a little parallel like that is usually where the best tooling comes out of and that's also why i'm bullish applications right you have to use your own shit to know like what you need to build like there was a need for this tooling and so it got built to surface this service this need and it's very specific like make good ethereum make good safe robust ethereum smart contracts and now you get like really good tooling and i guess like for people who aren't as old as i am that's not the right way to say it but like haven't been here for fucking <laughs> ever uh <laughs> the like the the dev tooling that people use now which is really popular is foundry and that's like what um is foundry is based on dev tools so the 
which is really awesome actually i'm really happy with the stuff that georgios and co have been putting out and like taking dap tools and making it more accessible really which is what i think they've done with it which is awesome i'd say foundry is like a spiritual successor in many ways 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah i think this this call out around like moving away from kind of like the you get one shot to get it right towards more upgradability patterns and like versioning is really interesting what do you think changed over the last few years that um that caused that shift that's a good question my first reaction is that it is like web 2 for lack of a better term web 2 devs are used to iterating in development right you ship you ship updates to application to traditional applications daily weekly right we push the product on we don't push the product on fridays but we push the product on monday or whatever like you just iterate more quickly there's always features to add you take user feedback you integrate it into your web app and you ship a little update so that paradigm i think people are comfortable with it, it also makes sense right like software is hard to get right um if you don't spend a million years like architecting a thing, thinking through every edge case, really planning how the thing is going to work, you know, like you're going to want to change it. And that's still true. Like there's always things about systems that get deployed that you probably want to change. And so I think in some way people are just being a bit more realistic about that. Like it is really hard to sink, you know, four years of development time to make something. Does it have its pros? I, I honestly do think yes, but it's like much less accessible. It's much more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for, I do think people thought about smart contracts differently than they do now as well. I think there was like a lot less forking going on. There was a lot less, oh, we can just do, we can just add an opcode in this fork. Like we can just, you know, change the address of the contract. Like there was some idea that, you were working on like durable, long lasting, forever public goods versus now, I think, I don't know if people think about it the same way. I think in some ways they do. I th in some ways, some projects are like less ambitious than that, which is like maybe reasonable, but like, I don't know, like Maker's vision was to create like a new, literally like a new global reserve currency, right? I don't know if I'm supposed to say that on the internet, but like, um, that's what they're trying to do and like replace a global financial system and it's a really bold thing to attempt but to do that you have to do all these things that they did which is like make it safe make it robust make it you know enduring um, and that's probably part of it as well I don't know uh, I think now I'm just in like speculation territory but I do think like people being used to like faster development cycles and then just like I don't know different ideas of what we should make it's definitely yeah i i think we've seen that that pendulum swing when web3 was new uh there was this new way of creating entirely immutable applications um and we got a lot of things like maker that came out of that um and then a lot of like you said a lot of web2 engineers came into the space kind of continued the existing paradigm that they were used to um and I think there's sort of this middle ground that we talked a little bit with uh, Steve Klebanoff from Party Dow yesterday about this pattern of these immutable contracts that are you can opt into an upgrade. You see with things like Uniswap where there's you know V1, V2, V3, 
Uh, and each one of those can't be upgraded until people decide to go ahead and use the next one. So I think, yeah, there's there's definitely this like this uh, this spectrum I would say in the space, and it'll be interesting to see how different types of applications land into different niches. I also think like in this context, something that that feels like it stands out to me. I mean, first of all, I like the effectively they don't build them like they used to. <laughs> like that's kind of the vibe. <laughs> But also, it feels like so much of the infrastructure um, that it is, exists now is just like kind of handed to you as opposed to like needing to build these systems. And to your point, Jenny, about like forking, I am curious how you think about, you know, from a perspective of like culture, I guess it's kind of culture, like how okay it is to fork stuff and what that looks like. Because I think the a few moves by Uniswap and others over the last like couple of years have definitely made like whether or not it's fine to fork stuff and to what degree you can just fork shit and change the name like you're talking about and just sort of move on um like how okay that is feels like a thorny topic and so I'm curious how you think about that yeah that's a that's a good question I think my perspective and like one of the things that attracted me to crypto or like generally whatever whatever we call what we work on these days um in the first place was this kind of idea of like free and open things. And like to me, like the free and open source software movements and things like this are um, foundational to kind of the work that we're doing. And so for me, forever, I will, I think forking is good. Um, I, I I think it would be hard to convince me that it's it's a bad thing. I think, um, and the reasons are because I think like you, I believe that this stuff needs to be open. I believe that it needs to be accessible. I think the the other end of the spectrum, which is like kind of what you're talking about with, you know, permissive licenses or what have you, I also can understand and empathize with that position, right? Like I've worked on labs teams. I understand in a way like what you're trying to do by doing these things is probably building this more like institutional long view type of enduring community, right? The reason that I think we are like somewhat accepting of some of these things that are happening uh, in the short term is because, or like if you are, you probably have like some belief that Uniswap Labs, for example, is set out and aligned with you to build enduring uh, public goods infrastructure. Uh, not to call them out specifically, but like that it is a good example. Like, so I think that's the spectrum, right? It's like, to me, I'm like, this this should be free everyone should be able to learn how to use it that's one of the things that's why i started programming in the first place i was like oh you can like learn how to program on the internet like that's cool no one can no one can tell you you need like whatever to do this like that's awesome those have always been the most interesting things to me is just like it's still not accessible to everyone right like reliable internet like access to honestly the english language is hugely a, a barrier for some people in this but like I don't know, just the idea that, like, you can access this information, this knowledge for free, knowledge should be free to me, like, information doesn't make sense why we withhold this from each other, we're just holding ourselves back, like, fully on that spectrum of, like, openness, never been against it, but then, like, okay, we also, like, live in a society, huh? but, like, <laughs> just, like, you know, you need, you need uh, to make things that last, and, and often things that last are institutions or organizations. So, like, I get both sides, but I'm definitely, like, a free software maxi in that way. Yeah, it also feels like the, definitely, like, the openness of this ecosystem in general feels like it catalyzes a lot of the innovation and just, like, what people can 
create that's net new because you're not like basically reinventing the wheel every single time, um, which kind of makes me wonder. So like you, you kind of mentioned the upgradability patterns as changing and things like that. I'm curious when you think about the way that the ecosystem has evolved over the past few years, it's specifically in like the dev tooling side of things. Um, what's changed? Like what's what feels like it's net new and exciting? Um, maybe even now, maybe not even like, you know, what's changed since then. But to you, what feels most exciting on the dev tooling side of things moving forward? I think this is, I mean, it's like funny to say test nets maybe, but like test nets are my favorite dev tool uh, because it's just like similarly the same way. Like it's, I mean, you know, the, the crazy things that happened with the, the girly like price, whatever, like that was actually, I would, I, I could have never expect, I would have never predicted that really somehow, but like, and that has changed it a bit, the game, I think, but like test nets, I think is the best is like an amazing dev tool um what else i don't know i think some of the stuff like the like transaction simulation just like explorers like i think again like for me it's like giving people tools which is information contextualizing information like those types of things i really like and i think I think we have like good dev tools. Honestly, like if you're if you're like programming, I mean, I don't know if they're like amazing dev tools, but they're pretty good. Like you can you can ostensibly like write contracts, you can deploy them, you can fork locally, like that. That's like covered. And then I don't know. I think it'd be cool to see more like. I, I think I'm trying to meme wallet as a service into existence. I know some people are working on stuff similar to this, but like I think giving application developers the ability to play more with like what actually like wallet infrastructure would look like or just like signing infrastructure. I would I would like to see more of that. I think that would be interesting. Also, as we like are working towards some of this other stuff, like account abstraction and intents and stuff, like I think that's a place where some infrastructure maybe dev tooling is like missing. Like the the like what uh cast, which is the Seth like command line tool for like publishing transactions, signing transactions. Um like the, the the space between that and like MetaMask and like whatever is next, like I do think that's pretty wide. I know that it's hard to get like funded in some way, I guess, and I maybe that's why we haven't seen it or like hard to get it specified. But or people are all just like waiting for everyone to agree on what the standards are. But that would be something that I think would be cool to play with. And I think there's a lot of like UX stuff that could come out of that. It's like not dev tooling, but like. What is, what is like the like the playground for users, which is like also dev tooling, but like a little it's like tools that let you play with things in like a low risk way for not only specifically devs. That is a category that I think is interesting. And I want to know more of these tools if you guys I mean, your permissions explorer actually, I think is a fantastic example of this. Not to like totally uh, do that, but it totally is. <laughs> um <laughs> Like, I think letting people see how things work together, see how things are related, like how to verify these things, like all very useful and all very necessary, right? When you're in this, honestly, like very still hard to totally get your head around space. I love the the pod.xyz shill for anyone who doesn't know what Jenny is talking Yeah, sorry. About. Yeah. But also <laughs> I'm... Pods. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I mean, <laughs> it, it, we're just shilling at this point. <laughs> Pods. But I, I do think like... <laughs> I think that's a really good call out and and I do want to double oh I can't say double click that's too say it. 
too cringe. <laughs> I want to no, dive deeper into the okay. account abstraction <laughs> side of things. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like from your perspective, from the perspective of just account abstraction adoption, part of it is just like waiting for standards. Do you think that's the main thing that's holding this all back? I think it's that. I think it's also like the wallet um, or however we want to call like the end user interface to it. Like it's going to be hard. The proposed like whatever 4337, I always get these numbers confused. Or, like, But 4337 spec, which is like you get a new mempool, you can upgrade any EOA to an account, a smart contract account. Like it all like sounds reasonable. But I think if you click look at like how user patterns have gone, like it's really hard to get people to like upgrade their behavior unless they have like a really good reason to and i'm probably oh, would i make this bet i think we probably haven't done a good enough job of like selling people on the benefits like are we going to get these people to upgrade they don't already like my other thing is like ethereum specifically i mean account abstraction is not a new concept it exists in other ecosystems besides ethereum it exists in the like in tech in general like these things are it's just like a way of dealing with things just like an abstract layer above what you were doing before like i don't know it's kind of a silly name in some way but anyways um i think that the gnosis safe is arguably ethereum's account abstraction and it's um not everyone is using that for good reason you know it's more expensive whatever but you're still going to incur these costs to get people to upgrade to this new infra so and it will depend on the tooling around it. Like if there's not a one-click way, I think there's a new one that like clients put out. Like this one, I have to look at the number, but I did write it down because I thought it might come up. Um, 7377, I think it's relatively new, but it's just like a way for like one-click migration. I'll just show that really quick. I think people should go read it and give feedback on it because I think it will be helpful. Um, but yeah, like there's this assumption that we've made that like, people will understand the benefits of this thing and thus upgrade their systems. And like, I don't know, I think there's a lot less just like for wallets, there's a lot less reasons why they might do it. Like you're going to incur a ton of development costs. I think it's possible if someone does it really well, you would see like an upseating of like some, uh, what, what do you call it? Like tr untrenching of the, the whatever, like usurping of, existing uh big players like i think there's there's a chance there for this but i'm not like fully convinced it'll happen but there is that opportunity because we do have to like kind of rethink how we do accounts and like what people i think intense is actually going to be like a bigger shakeup if this if this meme takes off at a user level or if there's like actual infrastructure to support it like something that i think is cool that doesn't exist i think we will see is just like prompt like everyone's saying like you know prompt engineering for transactions but like there is this like idea that you can just like ask ask more generally like for things ethereum transactions aside like that is an interface that i do think people are more comfortable with and like want to use like i think one of the reasons that like chat or whatever has been popular is because you can just kind of play with the idea of like oh i could get what i want i can see if i can get what i want through this and i do think seeing at least even just how I've tried to use it I'm like I want I want to make this thing work for me in this way and I would love to see interfaces like for this type of stuff that 
work in a similar way of like, I don't know exactly what I want, but I have some rough idea. How close can I get? And that's layered on top of all these like low level, like whatever intense account abstraction things, right? Yeah. I think it would be interesting to dive deeper into some of the like technical aspects of, of account abstraction. But before we do that, everyone seems to have a different definition of what intents actually are. And so I'm curious how you would define intents. Okay, I have a, I have a, it's not my definition, but Chris uh, goes, Christopher from Anoma has it. And I think his is the best one that I've seen so far. And I want to pull it up because I don't want to, I don't want to misquote this. Uh, but I probably am going to struggle to find it. Ugh, okay. I'm going to try because I can't find it right away. I think I took a picture of it, but um, he was basically saying just like, okay, what are intents? Intents are basically, I don't know, it's like, the thing that stuck out to me, though, was like he he made explicitly clear that they're over a specific domain. And so I think that's like really important in intense is to remember that they're over a specific domain. I think eventually we'll see the specific domain kind of expand to be like any type of multi-chain EVM, non-EVM thing. But it's just like to be an intent is just an abstraction above a transaction. So it's just like. I want to do X. That's all it is. It's it, it it says nothing about its implementation. It says nothing about how this actually gets facilitated. It says nothing about the system that it works in. Um, but it's just like a desire expressed over a domain, I think, is kind of like a way to say it. But I'm I think everyone does have different ones for different reasons. It's lossy enough that you can fit a lot inside of it, which is hard but i don't think the wrong thing if that is fair to say yeah i think it, that that was a pretty solid definition i like that i think um account abstraction has taken a while it's been talked about since like basically the very beginning of ethereum um and so i think one of the reasons why that's the case uh is this sort of chicken and egg problem where we need to see examples of this to know uh, what sort of standards we should establish, but at the same time, like not many people want to build those specific implementations until we see more standards. So what do you think, uh, like we're slowly moving in the direction of figuring out all these details. Um, what are the, those details that you're excited about? And, uh, you mentioned 7377 as like one example that you wanted to get people to give some feedback on um what's the interesting pieces that you see within account abstraction uh, i think so the one that's been tried before i guess is like the meta transaction relay networks and i do think as far as i like understand i think one thing is like i i don't know how many people and i would count myself in this included like do i really understand the four three three seven back like no probably not like does any like i don't know i feel like it's almost like uh it's the same thing with like intense or whatever. like the definition of what we actually mean when we say the thing is like actually hard to pin down i think that's a byproduct of kind of working on user experience of dis uh distributed systems uh, so that's that's like a fun challenge right that's our coordination problems all the way down but um 
But I do think this one, as I understand it, it like kind of proposes this user operations mempool so that we all like, and how that like is actually going to work, like for MEV like transactions value, I think it still will work, right? Like you, people will still do MEV on that, which means people will still be incentivized to like run infrastructure for these networks. I think somewhere where we might see this be more difficult is things like I don't know, like for when I was working on Lens, like a social network, like there's not a ton of like incentive for anyone in a ga like in a gasless way to submit transactions. So how do meta transactions work for non-financial uh, transactions is almost even the wrong word when you talk about like social, but that's what they are like at the technical level. But like they're just, you know, they're, oper they're user operations, which actually is what I think the thing is called in the spec, which is good. But the incentive to publish them and to, like, for uh, validate them is, like, much, much less plumbed through. So that's, like, something that I don't know if I'm excited about it, but excited to see if we can figure it out. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. I do think it's, like, going to be a wallet game, though, like, this stuff, what we're talking about wallets connections with rpcs connections with new mempools uh, you know there's there's a lot of this infrastructure that does exist already it will be kind of up to some of them to push you know i think something that is funny and i guess like one of my my final boss in crypto i guess if i can solve this one thing i'll i'll be able to leave is that when i was working at metamask um my the, the, the one of the first things I did there was make a branch of MetaMask that has a Gnosis safe inside of it. We never published, we never shipped it. Uh, and one of the reasons we didn't is because I made it as a one of one. So it supported like one of one M of N multi-sig, but just one of one. And at the time we were like, oh, but like people want to use like, you know, two of four or three of five. And now actually one of one most popular configuration of a Gnosis safe could not, could not have known that at the time. I didn't think that that's how it'd be, but now like that type of thing, I think makes more sense. People were sold on that. People wanted a way to recover their own keys and we're not getting it at the protocol level. That's like an important distinction, I think, between Ethereum and like some, like I, Polkadot, for example, has like many different types of accounts, like in the runtime already has existed for a while. You can vote with like a specific key. You can do meta transactions like there's a lot more infrastructure around this in like other ecosystems but for ethereum i think vitalik talked about it at ecc they just were like we need to ship this thing and that's super valid but it has come back to i think bite us a little in this way um but yeah i don't remember where i was going with that oh um no still don't okay the final boss yeah that's my personal that's my personal battle but uh, yeah so I'm 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 excited to see it so that I can finally put that to rest, I guess. <laughs> well, I hope it gets solved, but I also hope that's not the moment that you leave. I think Yeah, you're right, you're right. That's solved. the wrong that's that yes, would be did. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That would be ridiculous. Wrong incentives. I mean, I think it, yeah. these things needing to exist at the wallet like level is interesting. I'm also curious how much of this is like an application level issue. Um because you do have like this question of like which RPCs applications are directing you towards, which I, I know there's like, I'm not well versed on this, but I know there's definitely conversations around like basically like a universal RPC for like cross chain stuff, which seems partially like a wallet thing, but it does seem partially like an application thing. 
So I'm curious how much you think this stuff falls on applications versus wallets. Those are, yeah, I think that's kind of like a throat, like kind of also like calls back to what you said earlier about like how now the infrastructure has been built, like not by, like instead of needing to build the infrastructure as you build the application, some of it exists and you can kind of pull off the shelf. And I think like that actually is like a killer application at the infrastructure level is this like universal RPC. I think there's a couple that exist, but um, the challenge of applications is like, which integration do I choose? Right. And that's that's always like a total separate thread, but like always kind of a fun conversation to try and have. Is this project going to last long enough for us to use it? Is it going to become abhorrently expensive? Should we build it in-house? Those are questions that all basically labs teams ask themselves. Um, but yeah, that universal connectivity layer is going to be totally key for this to happen. Also for like, you know, EVM and non-EVM chains. Like how do you, is account abstraction even the right abstraction? It's probably something above that. That's why people like intense, you know? Um, it's because it is that kind of like arbitrarily execute anywhere defined domain. But um, yeah, I don't think those exist. I don't think they're robust today. I do think there's still challenges there. And it's because it's like a huge DevOps. It's It's like, it's just hard to do, right? There's so many, you don't know what people are going to do. You don't know where they want to do it. You have to basically build a hundred integrations inside of one integration. I think people have this issue, um, like integrating with custodians, for example, like, is it one thing or is it 10 things that need to happen? Like, yeah, this is where, <laughs> this is where decentralization, I think we've sometimes we use it as a like in we index on decentralization, but what we've just ended up with is actually fragmentation. Like I think mm. they're really different things, but we really are like, oh, it's decentralized because you can do literally maybe anything, but we don't actually know if it will work. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm like anti-fragmentation, but still pro decentralization. That's tough though to get right. I don't know if anyone's really. Yeah, I'm curious about that space. I guess. Yeah, there's definitely a balance to strike because too much fragmentation doesn't really improve decentralization. It, it, if anything, at times can make things worse. Yeah, I mean, I'm also curious from like the perspective of uh, being at Aave, it feels like part of the dynamic here is also that you definitely need a uh, like a sufficient number of applications with a large amount of users to kind of lead the way and set the example so that everyone else does it. This is kind of getting back to this chicken and egg problem around standards. And it feels like for uh, a labs team like Aave, you tend to have a lot more say then in, you know, what those, what, what actually ends up being implemented in an app. And so I'm curious from that perspective, how you thought about where you should double down and, and um, build your own, you know, versions of things versus being like, okay, no, we're going to just go ahead and say that this makes sense to implement here um, and hope that other applications basically follow suit. Yeah, that's, I think probably, this is like a really interesting thing, right? The, the, the starter pack of applications required to bootstrap a new ecosystem, right? That's like kind of what it is, right? Is there sufficient application infrastructure etc to like move to a new place or like 
But I, I really, I think for the bigger or like longer term, longer looking applications that have been in this space, I'm pretty sure all of them have gone down the path of totally using some integrations, but a lot of time figuring out like how to build them themselves because you just like, not that Ave did this that often really, but just like the idea, I think for Lens, it was actually like much more, we worked with teams to build specific solutions because they didn't exist yet. And we did do like a lot of uh, in-house stuff in that way, but like there's some like general pattern, like an RPC is a good example of something you might not need to build in-house, right? Just like uh, a connection to a blockchain is is pretty reasonable, but like the you know even indexing right like you're sharing these resources and like you can just build like a better faster thing like inside i think i mean paradigm i don't know what it's called but they built some good indexing oh no josh from josh at lens did it too with them i think on red um but anyways you just like you do when you have users you can like build better stuff because you know what's happening or like you know what you need so I don't know. It's really, there's some things that don't make sense. I think like compliance is something that people want to offshore, not offshore, offload. Um, general, generalized infra, I think makes sense. I think we will see more like vertical integrated stuff though. Mm. In general, I think these applications are going to move into more like, here's the experience I will provide high touch, well plumbed UX. I know what end users want better not better but like i know what end users want and i can provide it well for them and then you'll have kind of this like long tail of like all this other stuff where it's like more hobby hobbyists or whatever cobbling together their own things um but if yeah if you want to really do distribution you kind of infrastructure is generic distribution is really specific and so it's hard to be good at both mm. what do you mean by distribution Probably. in this context I mean, like, user-facing applications or, like, actual um, end-users distribution. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which I think is still should be the goal. But, yeah, the <laughs> the infrastructure providers, understandably, and I think wallets, I consider them a bit of an infrastructure provider. Most of them want to be generic now, right? You don't want to tie yourself to, like, a specific implementation. That's also why I think, I mean, to go back to that question about, like, what's going to, what's it going to take, the standardization, like, you don't want to... we. It, uh, at MetaMath, probably the Gnosis thing, it was like a bad timing thing. And now maybe it would be more reasonable, but now they're working on kind of this platform for anyone to build wallet integration. So like, yeah, that's, it probably would have been like too early to build like a really specific integration inside. I don't know. But I think that's a question that everyone is going to be asking themselves is like, when do you move over? And I do think, again, like I do think the applications can ask for it, but since they don't, at the end of the day, control that end user piece, they don't. They aren't the one that kind of like is the touch point for most users in most cases today. Um, that it will require this this wallet piece that you don't control as an application. So that's why I think we will see more vertical integration. But I think we are in kind of like a messy middle where no one really knows what move. Yeah, it's kind of it is kind of an interesting dynamic where like um, wallets are in and of themselves kind of a distribution mechanism in the sense that they 
they are the highest touch with users over applications, um, which is a strange dynamic for application developers as well. Um, when you say vertical integration, do you mean like you could see applications building their own wallet experiences? Totally, yeah. I think, yes, basically that, yeah. Probably more though. Like it's probably, I think it will feel not like a wallet experience though, I guess is it won't feel like how it feels today. It will feel like you're in the, you know, I was going to say X app, but you can't say that anymore because <laughs> there is an X app. Yeah, now. that's scary. Um, that's uh, okay. You're in an application and like it just, you just use it and it feels much more like how, I don't know, in a way it's siloed, right? But I think this is, again, the fragmentation versus decentralization. It's okay to have, like, fragmented apps. You know, I use different music apps for different things I want to listen to. That's not totally foreign. Um, it's probably not great. Like, I still probably am more, more app-centric than, like, an average individual, I guess. But, like, I kind of think that is where it has to head. Yeah, I mean, I think we see this pattern time and again where we need the um the ultra generic version you know we need like a browser before it makes sense to start building individual apps or we need an ether scan before we build the like super opinionated uh podarchy viewer um and so i think you're probably right where we needed this more generalized type of wallet application before we can start to see these like um vertical integrations between the wallet and the application stuff like the uniswap wallet uh, or even like more more specific to a, a type of application are there other examples of sort of these like the use case for vertical integration of an application tied to a wallet that you're interested in um yeah i think one that has always been like a use case to me is just like um Working with like groups that are kind of so I've been working like in the past a bit with Centrifuge as well, and their problem space is like a their user base is a bit more like institutional, like real world traditional finance coming into DeFi. I think they they've straddled that bridge like from the beginning, and I think that they've really thought about the product from this way. And so like one of the problems that they have, or like one of the solutions that would work really well for them, is like the ability to, you know, restrict where where you can send certain types of coin to, right? Like if I want to invest USCC into these pools, I only really want anyone who's executing these transactions to be able to interact with that type of thing. So that, for example, would be like a really specific wallet as a service thing that like you would build now as like smart contract code or whatever, but like eventually I think could be more generalized as like, you know, this is like a wallet that makes sense for institutions. I mean, Firebox does similar stuff, right? Like you can only send USCC to X, Y, and Z address. Like you can only, I mean, this is no to safe daily, like spending limits as well. You can only send X amount of funds to these things. Like those types of controls, I think are really important for the more financial stuff. Um, what else? I think there's a cool use case of lens of account abstraction, which is like just like abstract that to like any social kind of thing is like group ownership of an account. This happens in like traditional social media where you just like all use TweetDeck or like share the password or whatever and like are all posting like 
these types of things are when you're using just like cryptographic keys like you need a good way to share access and like have control over that access and so that is like a practical application not super sexy but like it, it's really it is limiting us in some way of like not being able to do this elegantly not being able to do it in a standardized learnable observable way um yeah yeah I was going to say, I mean, I'm going to ask a, a dumb and annoying question, which is basically like, I'm curious how you think about the dynamic between account abstraction and intents and basically anything where you have like off-chain actions going on um, and the dynamic between that and like how sufficiently decentralized these things need to be. I feel like the the unspoken truth of a lot of this stuff is just that like, most infrastructure is actually not decentralized at all. And so like even with something like Gnosis, you know, you can have everyone sign. Um, but the reality is like if the the bundler service that Gnosis runs is not submitting those transactions and uh, making sure that they're executed, like it's not happening. And so I'm kind of curious how you think about in the context of like controls, you definitely have much more granular control over what's possible. But also some of that does introduce a centralization risk that it feels like we don't talk a lot about. And so I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah, I think you're right that it's fully not solved, like even close. I think what you're saying is 100% true and I think will persist for a while. Um, I do see, though, some of like DAOs, for example, or like these communities where you have like a specific protocol that people interact with, like they might have to be standing up their own endpoints for these things, right? Like the censorship resistant piece of this is just like you should be able to like fall back to like, I don't know, this is again like the free and open source software thing. You should be able to run your own thing. I think it's the reason I'm like kind of speaking about this really slowly is because I don't think it's realistic to have mm. like an end user instead of getting censored, like go to GitHub, you know, download some some repo yarn start whatever like <laughs> you know hook up like their api keys like i don't think it's realistic so i'm hesitant to be like oh that's a solution right that's a affordable solution it's technically sometimes possible if you literally have the best docs ever and like really practice and try it out yourself and like make sure it will work for someone on like a shitty internet connection right we're so far away from that um i do think though like as a baseline that should just that should be we should say everyone needs to have that as the worst case scenario I, that doesn't even exist today as the worst case scenario that's still not possible today for people i think that there should be something where we're just like okay committed to at least that but for sure i think there needs to be so much more i don't uh once it starts to like make in the incentives make sense like the apps will do this is maybe a vertical integration piece the app will include you you know that will get into interesting compliance things like you know like some of these apps run checkers against the ofac list for example like so they can still block your access they do they, they do location checks right they can still block your access so like solving those things I don't know. I do think like the local first solution is probably like if you really want to make it hardened, probably the only way. But like, I think the intermediate step is going to be that there's like 
kind of these these applications will like make sure you're included that type of thing if i if i build a tight gnosis safe integration i'll run a relay too kind of vibe yeah it seems like perhaps the equivalent today is like users knowing that they need to have a vpn they don't really know what's going on but they know they're blocked from accessing certain things because they don't have a vpn and so when you when you set up a vpn you're like set having your own endpoint feels like maybe a similar dynamic where like you could probably make that very easy for a user and not everyone's going to use it. But for the people who do need it, it's a very, it's a sufficient solution to ensure censorship resistance. Yeah. And this, this even goes back to our, the beginning of the conversation about forking, right? Just having the ability to fork can sometimes be enough to change the incentives and prevent extraction from happening in the first place. Just be like, even though I, I might not necessarily set a custom RPC in MetaMask. Knowing that I can, if MetaMask decided to start censoring, that sort of like probably does a lot to to stop MetaMask from censoring in the first place. Um, not that they would necessarily have the incentives to otherwise, but like I think all of this stuff kind of comes full circle when just giving the ability to exit to everyone is, is sort of like a default option. Totally. I think that's a really good point. Oh, I love getting into this like interesting mix of infrastructure and like decentralization philosophy stuff. I think it's very interesting. Um, I guess one final question for you, Jenny, before we wrap things up. What are you feeling most excited about that's happening right now? It seems like the account abstraction stuff is is moving in a direction that feels good. Um, but we're kind of in like, you know, a little bit of a lull in the space right now. And so I'm curious what you're feeling excited and energized by. I think privacy tech is something that I am excited about. I think you're starting to see more people, like the resurgence of people caring about it, that we have like better tooling, I guess, for getting it built. I'm definitely not an expert, um, but I do think it's necessary. I almost feel like when I first started in crypto, I was really, really impatient. I was just like, why doesn't this work yet? And now I'm like, okay, we're working on account abstraction right now, but like that will lead us to, you know, whatever. And like, I don't know, I guess I still think it's a, it's necessary privacy for like a lot of this stuff to literally make sense for real people. Um, so that still keeps me excited, I guess. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it still feels like important. It still feels like, I guess, the the battles feel more like regulatory right now or like much more like, not that, yeah, which sometimes feels like a bit fake. Like, I don't know, these like stuff that's happening, I, it feels more arbitrary than it did before. Um, and it feels like the tech is getting built and it feels like people that are building the tech are kind of understanding the tech that's getting built. I. I hope that people don't stray from this, like, ideology, I guess. Like, if we only build the tech and it ends up being, like, a worse version of what we had before, like, I think it is a failure. But I still think people are around for, like, the right reasons. So I think that that keeps me excited, I guess. We're still so early. So early. Incredible. What are you guys excited about? Good question. Go ahead, Chase. I've been diving into intense. I definitely think it's particularly around the the perspective that we were talking about with like, um, you know, it introduces levels of centralization, but it does feel like people need to understand 
that in order to understand like potentially net new types of business models that we seem to have just kind of ignored, um, which is more my like, you know, like non-technical business schooly type hat. But I do think that that is something that feels really exciting to me. Kevin, what are you excited about? I think the thing that keeps me around in the Ethereum space is just the fact that like every direction you turn is is a nerd snipe and <laughs> you can go fall down so many rabbit holes and every single direction that you look is like super dense and um, I, it's hard to even point to like one thing that I'm excited about at any particular moment. I, I definitely share your enthusiasm around account abstraction. I think that's going to unlock such a better user experience, which will unlock a larger onboarding funnel. Um, I think just general excitement around increased block space through L2s. Uh, it's interesting to see this conversation right now in on Twitter around like, there's a lot of L2 FUD at the moment. Um, so I'm interested to see how this shakes out. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know. This is just, this space keeps me constantly engaged and I don't know if it's like the ADHD or if it's just a wildly fascinating space, but uh, I'm here for it. That's the perfect way to put the uh, the space in general. I don't know if it's the ADHD or just so there's always stuff going on, but I'm engaged and I've been engaged for too many years. <laughs> Jenny, this was such a lovely conversation. Where can people learn more about you and the work that you've done and are doing in the space? Um, probably on Twitter, I guess. Um, also my website, jenny.lol. Check it out. It's not good, but I like the domain. Nice. It is a good domain. Needs, needs an update, but the domain is forever. All right. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so lovely. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me. Nice chatting for sure. Appreciate it, Jenny. Thank you.